Oh, come Lord Jesus. Wow. What a day of rejoicing that will be. That's pretty a nostalgic song for me. I, I think we've got to talk to maintenance and figure out why it's so dusty in here this morning. And yet, we are given this life on earth as a wonderful gift, right? We look forward to that day when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Yet, we are called here for this time. We are, we're, we're still looking at that card. I have to confess, last week when we talked about graduation, we talked about graduation cards it was uh, it was one of those uh, practice what you preach weeks for me because I uh, I gave some graduation cards away this past week um, and I I did just we grabbed one uh, for a student last Sunday afternoon and Kim and I were going to go to his open house and Kim had already picked up this card she said sign this card and I whip it open I look at it I'm thinking. <laughs> I just got done preaching that I would say exactly what I felt I should say, not whatever Hallmark says I should say. And, and so I didn't scribble anything out. I just signed it and tried to be really nice about it. But yesterday I had a fun moment. I uh, went to the graduation open house for my nephew, Carter Houck, Tim and Tracy's oldest son. He, he graduates today. And I love giving out a, a book at graduation that is a bit of a... A humble pill for anybody to swallow when they're handed this book. It's a book by Dr. John Piper, and it's called Don't Waste Your Life. Now, that's a pretty nice first thing to see at graduation. Somebody hands you a book and says, don't waste your life. And I, I, I did this to another nephew a few years ago, and I, I get a kick out of the reaction. And so yesterday, I did print a card that we wrote ourselves, thinking I, I can't be this much of a hypocrite two weekends in a row. And I was able to print one that I thought, this, is, this says what Todd and Kim would really want to say. Uh, and Kim approves. So that's good. So um, I gave this and I gave that book to Carter and his eyes got kind of big like, my uncle doesn't think I'm, my life is good. I'm like, no, 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 just, just wait, just wait. Carter, it's good. I'm proud of you. I love you. This is good. Read this book. By the way, if you ever get a chance to pick up that book called Don't Waste Your Life, read it. It's phenomenal. If you want to give a good graduation gift that gets people really thinking, uh, give that too. So last week we talked about how if God gave us a card, um, that card, what would it say? A greeting card or a graduation card, whatever. What would it say? And I, I could say we concluded, but really I, I was the only one who was talking. So I concluded that the card should say called because we all are called. Based on the passage that Pastor Kent read this morning, which is where we were last week, we're going to stay there. We only got two verses deep last week, sorry, just, it was just so much in the first two verses of 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 23, all the way through chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, but if we were to open that card up again, it would say something different this Sunday. It would say, still called. <laughs> Not just called, still called. Because God has called each one of us. And as we spend time in verses 23 and 24, 1 Corinthians 10, we see that that is a call to freedom, first and foremost, to freedom in Christ, to know Him, to be God's child, all because of the gift of our Savior giving His life for us and, and putting our complete trust in Him. That's the very first calling, but then there's the call to freedom. And what we can get so hung up on, and, is, and it really is, I truly believe it is a daily surrender for us to acknowledge and embrace God's definition of freedom. 
His definition of freedom, as we see in Galatians 5, says, You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use this for your own fleshly desires, but use this for the glory of God to show His love. And this is what Paul instructs uh, the Galatians, and he instructs us on this. And so we need to embrace God's definition of freedom. And we need to remember the, the, the powerful truths that when it comes to holding on to our freedom and when it comes to living out our freedom, each situation needs to be bathed in prayer. As we really check our hearts to see if, it, if this freedom is for our own, our own comfort or our own gain, or is it truly for God's glory, which is what God's definition points, it toward, points us towards. We also need to constantly surrender our wills through humility in order to live out God's call to unity. And that was the second call that we saw last week, verse 24. God's call to unity. But let me tell you this. With all that said, with everything we poured into last week, and as we look at this passage, freedom and unity are a beautiful thing, but they won't amount to a hill of beans unless we answer the next part of our call. To take a deeper look at this, I invite you to join me in Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. Starting in verse 4 through verse 8. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 through verse 8. The word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But I protested. Oh, no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. Then the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to deliver you. This is the Lord's declaration. Let's dive into some prayer before we pick this apart and continue looking at what it means to be still called. <sighs> Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you so much that we can look forward with eager anticipation, with true hope to that beautiful day when we all get to heaven and we rejoice when we see you. But Lord, I thank you that you've given us this privilege here on this earth to demonstrate your kingdom to, to the world around us and to the heavenly realms and, and to, to be your ambassadors as your children to, to point people to you. We thank you for this calling that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for your spirit who is at work in our hearts. Lord, I just pray that we will not quench your spirit, but instead we will be so hungry to follow your spirit's leading so open to see what you have for us. And as we look to your word, Lord, as we dig back into this 10,000-mile deep rock, may your spirit make it so real, so very real that we have no choice but to live this out with joy. 
Thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your calling on our lives. In Jesus' precious and holy name I pray. Amen. This calling of this young prophet Jeremiah is a powerful calling. You compare this to other callings, I really do believe that what we have here, I won't say this is the most powerful calling we have in Scripture, but I will say it's at least up there in the top 50, right? It is very powerful, and we look at this and we can say that this is a perfect reflection of the calling for the church. Because it is a foreshadowing of the Great Commission. The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, you look back here, you can see there's powerful similarities here. Both, both, you know, both give us the challenge to speak what was told. Jesus says, teach him to observe all that I have commanded you. And, and the Lord says to Jeremiah, for you will speak whatever I tell you. And what I really appreciate about this is the fact that it's not like, hey, go out and do this and then come back and report to me in heaven how it went. No, 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 no. In each one of these callings, there's this beautiful reminder that we're not going at it alone. He is with us to the very end of the age. What's amazing about that, not only are we not alone if He will go with us, but as we take His story, He's with us in that. Keep that in mind. It is His story. The gospel is not our story to share. It is His story. But He has chosen to write His story on our hearts, into our lives, which is why we should always be ready to share it and give the reasons for the hope that is within us. And when we see how God has worked in and through our lives, we conclude that it is by Him and it is about Him. Because all ministry is His ministry, isn't it? We are simply called to be stewards of His ministry. Now, speaking of ministry, let me ask this. Do we have any people in full-time ministry here this morning? Raise your hand if you're in full-time ministry. Okay, a couple. Okay. Um, all right, let's back this up a little bit. Okay. Uh, Jeremiah is a foreshadowing of the Great Commission, and it's... A beautiful parallel of the church, the calling. God's calling Jeremiah to minister here. Um, it's a calling to ministry, to full-time ministry. And, and, and the Great Commission is given to whom? The church, right? So if the church is given the Great Commission, and it's very similar to Jeremiah's calling, to his calling to full-time ministry, let me ask this question. How many of you are part of the church? How many of you are in full-time ministry? Keep your hands up. Do we understand this? Every single one of us is called to full-time ministry. 
And we need to see our family, our friends, our marketplace as that ministry, that full-time ministry, that mission field. It's such a blessing to hear Steve Saint share about his journey in ministry. Now, I don't know if you've been following Steve uh, the last uh, few years since his accident. Let's back this up, okay? Two wonderful, wonderful friends here took care of Steve when he was a little boy after his father, Nate Saint, and four other friends were killed in Ecuador in the 1950s. Uh, Lois and Dolores still have a close relationship with Steve and Ginny. And Steve had an accident a few years back which left him uh, partially paralyzed, and he has been on a p- just a very difficult but beautiful journey ever since. But, but long before this accident, Steve was sharing about his calling into ministry. No, he, he or his father had been killed by this tribe in Ecuador. And his aunt really wanted to reach these people. And she moves in with this very tribe that killed her brother. And then his aunt convinces his mom to let Steve and his sister go live with her with the very tribe that, that you know, killed their father. Now... Where was Child Protection Services on that day? I mean, really, that didn't make sense. Okay, so, so Steve goes and lives with them, ends up being raised by a very special uh, man from the tribe, really took on the role of being his father. And he spends his years growing up there, eventually gets to the age where it's time for him to come back to the U.S. and to go to college and, and get all of his schooling done. And then he really felt called to go into the business sector. And people would meet him, and he would, you know, they would say, oh, you were Nate Saint's boy. I've been praying for you since you were five years old. What ministry are you serving with right now? What missions agency? And Steve would, you know, he would tell them, I'm in the business world. And he said, he would see over and over again, people go, oh. And then years later, the tribe reached out to Steve and said, we have trouble. We have so many people who have been coming and doing too many things for us, we can't even function on our own. So Steve, and he's married and he's got children. Steve and his wife, Jenny, and, and their kids, they decided to go back and move in with the tribe. And people heard of this. So they, oh, praise God, Steve is finally answering his calling. And he's very quick to say his calling to business and his calling back to go live in Ecuador with the tribe and and administer them were both equally as strong. He felt God leading him to each one of those scenarios. Why could he do that? Why could he feel that strongly? Because he saw the business sector as his mission field. He recognized that every single one of us have this this amazing opportunity to, to, to take where we're placed and look at it as where God has called us to be, to be his light to look at everything that we do as full-time ministry and to live out our calling within our sphere of influence. Now, let me tell you this. If I were to follow you around for the next week, with your permission, of course, uh, (laughs) and I were to come to your your place of work, family, whatever, and, and try my best to pour into the lives of the people that surround you, how effective would that be? What would that be like? I think that would be awkward. Let's just be willing to say that. That would be awkward. 
why is it so much more natural for you to do it than for me to tag along and go do it with you? Or Pastor Kent, Pastor Barry, you know, Pastor Sam. Why, why, why don't you just invite all the, the, the whole team? Here, these, these are a bunch of pastors. And let me ask you this. You get around unbelievers, and they hear the word pastor. What happens? <clears throat> oh, oh, hey, hey. Boy, did I say anything inappropriate a few minutes ago? Hmm. Better put on my happy Jesus face and tell them how much I love Jesus and love teaching Sunday school. You know, you know or whatever. People could get, the walls can come up. When, they, when, a, when, the, when a pastor comes into the room, but how much more natural is it for, for our friends and our family when we already have that relationship? See, that's what using the, our sphere of influence, uh, getting ministering within our sphere of influence, it's why it's so powerful. But it's only powerful if we're intentional in recognizing the calling that God has on each one of us. How, does, how is this done, though? Paul explains this. So finally, we get to dig deeper into uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 25 uh, through 30. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If one of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions of conscience. Someone says to you, this food, this is food offered to an idol, don't eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for conscience's sake. I do not mean my own, your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake this with thanks, why am I slandered because of something for which I give thanks? Now, what does this have to do with the calling? What Paul is explaining in verses 25 through 30 He's explaining this, this powerful freedom that we have, this freedom to love, this freedom to show people the love of Christ, not to be hung up with rules and regulations. But once again, like we talked about last week, making sure that that freedom is not something we are latching onto or holding onto and using for our own personal gain or comfort. But instead saying, no, this is going to be used for the glory of God. And it's interesting, you look at this explanation that he has, and you look back to Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, we have a paradigm-shifting vision that is, is given to, to the apostle Peter. Now, Peter received this vision from God where the sheet comes down from, from heaven with all of these animals, and there's unclean animals by, by you know, the law and and God drops it down, and he says to, to Peter, take and eat. And Peter, and his vision is like, no, no, Lord, I can't do that. I, I will not touch anything that is unclean. And the Lord says, do not declare something unclean that I have declared clean. Because I have created it, and I present this to you. And, and at that same time, the Lord is, is given a vision to Cornelius, a Roman centurion. And he's telling Cornelius to, to send for Peter. And so he sends uh, people to, to where Peter is staying, and Peter is told in this vision from God that Cornelius is sending some people to come get you, so go with them gladly. So Peter, Peter is able to, to go, and he gets to, to meet with Cornelius, and he's there with all these Gentiles. And God has made it very clear to Peter that his gospel is for everybody. And we, don't, we do not have to settle for calling things unclean. And we do not have to settle for calling anyone unclean. 
because of God's love for them and the reason that He gave His Son to reach all people. So He's given this, this vision, He gives this opportunity, and He shares in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 43, Peter began to speak, saying this to Cornelius and everybody in his house. In truth, I understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears Him and does righteousness is acceptable to Him. He sent the message to the sons of Israel, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how He went about doing good and curing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, because God was with Him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything He did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem. Yet they killed Him by hanging Him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and permitted Him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us. Witnesses appointed beforehand by God who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that He is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and dead. All the prophets testify about Him that through Him, his, his, through His name, everyone who believes in Him will receive forgiveness of sins. This is for everybody. So, the Apostle Paul gives us this, this challenge to us to look at whether it's peop, the uh, food that is seen, that used to be seen as unclean or whatever. Whatever is done, if it's an opportunity for us to go and to show the love of Christ and to reach out to people, let's use that freedom. And let's welcome people with the gospel. Now, here's the problem. That can get messy. Okay, we've started to celebrate recovery here at First Baptist. Every single one of us is recovering from something. But we're not always ready to admit it. And sometimes the people who have been so broken through addictions are usually going to be more open about it. Are we ready here at First B to open the doors and say, come on. Come on in, church. Yeah, church, all of you. You're coming here because you love Christ. We see in Acts chapter 10, this is for everybody. Are we ready for, the, for this, this auditorium to be filled with people that may not look like what we think everybody should look like when they come to church? Are we really ready for that? We better be because we're called to extend that love. We're called to extend that grace. It's very easy for us to think that we are above others. But think about it. The very God of the universe told a bunch of stinky fishermen and a tax collector that they were his friends. And yet we can try to put ourselves above others? That doesn't make sense. We are called to freedom. But freedom to love, we are called to unity, to see others through His eyes, and to take that love and begin to welcome them into the body, all for the glory of God. So let's look at this, this summer. Hey, it's Memorial Day weekend. It's the beginning of summer officially. Now it's been nice having great weather when it's like 90 degrees, and it kind of like, hey, you know, you don't have to wait until... June 5th for all the snow to melt. Okay, so it feels like summer started a little early, but we kind of see Memorial Day weekend as the official launch of summer. So let's look at this summer season as our season of ministry of doing, just like we're talking about here. 
Not that being mission-minded in life is limited to a single season, but we need to start setting short-range goals so as to spur one another on toward love and good deeds during this time. Maybe this could be a good launch pad for us going into the fall. So let's just say the summer is our season. So let's get into the weeds a little bit here. We're talking big picture before, but let's talk a little bit about uh, the nuts and bolts of it. What could happen this summer? This could be a powerful summer of worship. And I'm not just talking about what we got to experience here and what we're looking at with hiring a worship pastor. We could say it's going to be an exciting summer of worship, but hey, yeah, because I like that song and it really made my leg twitch a little or something. No! We're talking about a summer of worship in which we could take the gospel to our sphere of influence, to the people around us. If every single family in this church were to commit and say, we're going to make three connections for the glory of God this summer. We're going to pick three people or three families to reach out to. And we're going to begin praying two nights. And we're going to make it a, a, an evening prayer time that we would pray for those three families. And we say in the summer of 2018, this is, these are the people that we are going to reach out to. Whether it's, for, you know, family members who don't know the Lord, that we need to build a, a stronger relationship with them. Friends, you know, people in, in our neighborhood. Or people at work. If every single family just said three, just three, and we are going to be intentional about reaching out to them, we're going to be intentional about inviting each one of these families to our home one time this summer. Pick one night a month and say that be the night of mission. And we're going to welcome these people as our own and build that, continue to build that authentic relationship which can lead to opportunities to show love in the most tangible way. How powerful would that be? I'm talking way beyond, let's just say, this summer, we're going to invite three different families here to church. Just, you know, sometime. No, 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 no. You, you could throw an invitation out to anybody. Hey, you should come to my church. Well, I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, got that one done. Check. Two more to go. No. I'm talking about getting into people's lives. I'm talking about putting down the phone and actually talking to somebody. Making the most of the opportunities to match up. The visible gospel with the spoken gospel. Now, this is going to hurt. Brace yourself. Because it hurts me every time I prayerfully walk through this. We can show love to people. We have to show love to people if we're going to think that we're going to take the gospel to people. And that is what I call the visible gospel, being the hands and feet of Christ. Something tangible for people to see. Okay, this is who Jesus is. In the way that we respond to people, we reach out to people. And it's so important for us to have that because without a, a hunger to imitate Christ and being the hands and feet of Christ and, and, and bringing this visible gospel, the spoken gospel will not have any validity at all. Think about that. What's most people who don't want anything to do with church, what's probably their biggest complaint about the church? Their complaint is that 
you know, greatest single complaint of atheists is, the problem for atheism or cause of atheism is, is, is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but deny him with their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And so we have this, this, this charge to, to live out the gospel, to imitate Christ in a powerful way, and to bring validity to the spoken gospel. Now, when I, during the summer, and if we haven't visited before, I, I serve with a ministry called Child Evangelism Fellowship. And we have a program in the summer that I just absolutely love. It's my, my three weeks of kid time that I get every year. It's called Camp Good News. And every year when our staff comes to Camp Good News, we use about 90, 90 to 95 kids per week, and we have about, I don't know, about 40 staff that come or more uh, and, and serve at camp. The challenge that I give to the staff every year is that their job at camp is to preach the gospel 24 hours a day and, if absolutely necessary, use words. They get an opportunity to bring validity to the spoken gospel in the way that they care for these kids. When kids come to camp, we have our counselors ready and lined up at the registration table. So as soon as a kid finishes going through registration, uh, Kim and the staff will, you know, grab one of the counselors saying, hey, here's this camper's name. They're going to go to this cabin, take them there. And, and, and the counselors, honestly, they carry the kid's luggage for them. And, and they, they welcome this kid with open arms and show them that, hey, you're at camp. We are so excited that you're here. The morning kids come to camp. Before they get there, as a staff, we all gather for, for our own little church service, and we pray through the list of every single camper. And I get to tell every one of those kids at camp, that first night in chapel, every single one of you was prayed for by name in this room this morning. And I wish everybody could see what I get to see, to see these little scared elementary kids also just go, oh, and there's this peace about and you could just see it on their faces because already they've been shown love. And they, already, they instantly know within one day that this is a beautiful place. Not that we're perfect, my word. Come serve with us for a week and you'll know otherwise. But we have that opportunity to live out the gospel for these kids. And we are prayerfully just striving to do that all for the glory of God. But unless we speak the gospel, we are not giving those actions any context. Oh, that's hard. Wouldn't it be easy if that's all God called us to do was just to live out the gospel and just show love and always be kind to people? That'd be probably a little easier. We get less nervous about that, don't we? I just need to be a good person. Well, what are we going to communicate to people if all we do is show the love of Christ in our actions? What are, we, what are we telling them? We're telling them that we're a good person. What does that do for them? Nothing. It gives validity to the spoken gospel, but without the spoken gospel, we give no context whatsoever to those actions. And you may be saying, oh, well, but I really don't know what to say. Yeah, neither do I. There are times I don't know what to say. But I can point somebody to the truth that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, He rose again, third day according to the Scriptures. And I'm here to tell you, I've heard some of the most polished presentations of the Gospel fall flat. 
And I've heard some of the most shaky presentations of the gospel penetrate the hearts of lost people. And you know what the difference was? Prayer. People were praying. If you want to talk to your friends about God, start by talking to God about your friends. Let's start with prayer. That's why I said let's take every single night and pray for three families, every single one of us. And let's pray that God would open their hearts and that they would be hungry, hungry to know Him. So let's get out of the weeds a little bit. Let's talk big picture. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Paul says this, do everything for God's glory. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God. Just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I also am of Christ. We're still called. We're called to full-time ministry, but we're also called to just intentional living, big picture, saying, I want to live each moment as an image bearer, just like Paul says here. Paul's saying, if you can't figure out what to do, Oh, shoot, just, just imitate me because I'm trying to imitate Christ. If you don't have anywhere else to look, look to me. I'm not the perfect example. But I'm an image bearer. Each one of us who are in Christ, we are made, uh, we are an image bearer. Well, we are all made in the image of God, so, so we need to approach each moment as an opportunity to reveal God to the world around us and beyond. Constantly and prayerfully building bridges of grace that are strong enough to hold the weight of truth. And prayerfully going into this summer with purpose. To glorify God in every relationship as we prayerfully serve in full-time ministry. All as one. Friends, we are free we are free in Christ, free from the bondage of sin. We are free, free from, the, from the law, given this opportunity to love all for His glory. We are free to be united as one. We are free to be, to be missional and intentional in the way that we take the lost world, the gospel. Are you with me? Can we do this? Three months, three families. Oh, let's pray about it. Father in heaven, please work in our hearts. Make it so real for us. This calling that you have given us, just penetrate our hearts, Lord. Help us to seek out tangible ways to show your gospel. Give us the boldness to speak your gospel. I thank you so much for this privilege that you've given us of being called your own children and being called your ministers. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Three months begins now.